Now, back to including everybody, especially those in the red shirts today, which are our special guests. Um, Today, like I said, we have our campus pastor, Pastor Dave, who's coming today to speak in our teaching series called Life Verse. And so it's going to be, it's exciting. We have one of our other pastors out there filling his shoes. We've got, Dave has got some, made some big shoes for us to fill in our North Platte campus. We've been out there for about a year and a half now. And before summer hit, we were seeing numbers of like 195 people attending out there. We started with nothing, zero, a year and a half ago. So God's been doing some great stuff and he's been doing incredible things through our campus pastor, Dave and Tiffany Cumming. So would you please give it up for Dave Cumming? Good on, man. Thank you. Great to have you. Yeah, it's great to be here. Well, hey, guys. uh, Thanks for having me today. As always, it's an honor when I get to step up here and share God's word and maybe what he's been doing at our North Platte campus. Uh, So before I really dive into today's message, I do want to welcome all of our North Platte family. Uh, I'm excited to get back there and to hear uh, maybe what God did through Pastor Nate or my brother-in-law, Andrew, is out there leading worship. And so I uh, just love our North Platte family and everything that's going on out there. I also know it's going to be a little rowdier today because Tracy Hawk is out there with a bunch of royal family kids, volunteers. And so uh, I'm excited. I actually get to speak to you guys, royal family kids, volunteers, later on this evening uh, at your worship service. So it's going to be cool. Uh, hopefully you aren't sick of hearing my voice by the end of the day. All right. Uh, but I also want to say hey to everybody down in the venue. Uh, I'm going to make it uh, down there to make sure that you guys are actually worshiping and not just practicing dodgeball. Uh, we have some people out in North Platte that are a little, you know, bitter that we've been beat the last two times at our New Life United dodgeball tournament. So we want to make sure that you're not just practicing on Sundays. Uh, and then lastly, but, but not least, I want to welcome everybody that's uh, with us today through our online campus. I know my mom is going to be watching, and so I just want to say hi to her uh, as well as everybody else. So it's, it's an awesome age in which we live where we can utilize technology to, to leverage that and advance God's kingdom. Uh, today, we are in a teaching series called Life Verse, and Life Verse is really all about using God's word to anchor us in our faith, and then also to act as a filter for us as we take in things from the world and what we give out. uh, It it just guides us in all that we do. Uh, As I said, an anchor is so important uh, because it it keeps us grounded. It keeps us anchored in our faith when the storms of life come. Uh, We all know that life is not just all rainbows and butterflies and, uh, and whatnot, that there are challenges that we face in life, and an anchor keeps us grounded. Now, that filter that, that you're going to hear me talk about is really uh, utilized or it impacts or affects the way that we take in the world. It's the way we receive things, but then also it impacts the way we think about things or the way that uh, we talk or behave and act towards other people. Today, I want to start by talking about the danger of not being anchored. Okay, sometimes, you know, we don't really necessarily take the time to think about just how important it is to be anchored in God's word. So if we're not anchored, you know, the storms of life are going to come and they're going to blow us out to sea uh, further away from God uh, and the people that are close to us. And the thing that I love about about this is that Christ told us to expect storms in life. Uh, John 16, 33, part of that says, 
Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. This is Jesus speaking here. He tells us, expect trials and sorrows. Well, if we know that, if that's on our radar, then we better be anchored so that we can handle those trials and sorrows. The next part of it, though, uh, and this is why we need to be rooted in our faith, Jesus goes on to say, but take heart because I have overcome the world. If Jesus has overcome the world, if he's victorious through all the storms in life, then he's who I want to be anchored in. The danger of having the wrong filter, that can also get the best of us sometimes as well. And let me just start by saying this, that any filter in your life that is not God's word or his will for your life is the wrong filter. Any filter that you're using in your life that is not God's will and word is going to be the wrong filter for your life. It doesn't matter how good or noble it may seem. You may be using the filter of your grandma. What would my grandma think of this? What would my grandma think of that? I love your grandma, but if she's more important than God, then you're going to go down the wrong path. Let me give you an example. 16 years ago, I was an 18-year-old kid. I grew up in uh, the town of Kozad. Uh, how many of you are familiar with Kozad? Okay, it's an awesome place. I didn't think that when I was an 18-year-old, but uh, I love it. I was an 18-year-old kid. I just graduated from high school. Uh, I had the, the fortune of being raised in an awesome family. I had happily married parents. I had three siblings that I loved most of the time. Uh, and, and so let me, let me take you back to June 14th, 2000. I had just finished pitching against Gothenburg. Uh, baseball was kind of my thing. I loved to pitch. That night I didn't pitch very well. In fact, we got beat. I took a lot of the kind of the blame or thought it was my fault. And my dad comes up to talk to me after, after the game, and he wants to just share what he thought I could do differently. Now, I have to tell you, at this point, I loved my dad. My dad was just like a rock star to me. Uh, we shared our, a love of sports together where he was at all of my games. And if we weren't at my games and we were watching uh, sports on TV, whether it was basketball or, or baseball or football, whatever the case may be, uh, we shared a love of music. Uh, he took me to my first concert. We saw Huey Lewis in the News out in Denver when I was like 18, or excuse me, eight years old. Uh, I remember it was loud. That was kind of my big takeaway, but I loved it. And so we were always taking uh, road trips every summer after our baseball season was over. We'd take these just epic road trips where we would uh, really center it around the different major league baseball games that we could see. And we'd, we'd knock out eight to ten states in about a week's time. And, and so I loved my dad. We were, uh, we were very similar, though sometimes that would cause some problems. I tend to be very stubborn and opinionated. And if I look back... With hindsight, you know, hindsight's always 2020. 20, uh, I was prideful. And my pride got the best of me that night, June 14, 2000. I just finished pitching. We had gotten beat. My dad wants to come and tell me what he thought I could do to be more effective. And, and the, the emotions of having just gotten beat by our rivals were still a little fresh. And I, I tried uh, to be as nice as I could. And I said, Dad, right now I don't want to hear it. I need some time. I'm frustrated. And so he went home. I got home a little bit later. And my mom said, you know what? You need to go talk to your dad. He's pretty mad. He's pretty upset that you want to listen to him. So I go out there. Uh, he was outside working in the yard. And I tried to talk to him. And 
similar to me a little bit before, he didn't want to have anything to do with what I wanted to say. And so uh, that was our conversation that night. We were frustrated. We were mad at each other. And my parents, they owned a business in Cozad. And my dad's nightly routine was to go down uh, late at night and just walk through the building and make sure everything was okay. Well, that night, June 14, 2000, as he got out of the car to walk into the building, he collapsed and died of a heart attack. And obviously, that was devastating. Here's this guy that was my hero, that was my rock star, that was my example in life, and just like that, he was gone. To make matters worse, the last conversation I had, last two conversations with him, were arguments. And so, as you can imagine, my life was radically changed. It wasn't until years later that I realized that night I didn't just lose my dad, I lost my life's filter. Because up to that point, I mean, we were in church every Sunday. Literally, like the church was right across the street from where we lived in Cozad. I was in church every single Sunday, but I wasn't in a place where I was making faith my own. I was going because that's what was expected. And, and so I was in church every Sunday, but God was not my filter. My dad was. And I don't fault my dad for that. I'm not here. I want to honor my dad. I loved my dad. But that's on me. I didn't have the right filter in life. For years after his death, every decision I made, I ran through this filter of, will my dad approve of this? Is this something my dad would want me to do? Is this something my dad would sign off on? And the trouble that that caused was, that was a a filter that I would never on this earth know if I had gained his approval. It was impossible using that filter to gain approval. And so this, this developed a sense of emptiness within me. I lacked fulfillment in life. Um, I grew isolated and depressed where I would just intentionally try to withdraw and not make connections with people. And like I said, it all came down to the fact that I had the wrong filter in life. I didn't have an anchor rooted in Christ. I was chasing approval using a filter that made approval impossible. So today, I want to caution you on having the wrong filter. If you're sitting here today and your filter is past wounds, maybe something that that you did uh, maybe in your childhood or uh, recently, within just the last few months or few years, if that's your filter, it's going to lead you down the wrong path. If your past wounds include you being hurt by somebody else, now I don't want to minimize those. I realize those hurts and those struggles matter. They matter to you. They matter to God. But I don't want you to have them as your filter. If your spouse is your filter, you may have an amazing spouse. You may have a great wife or a great husband. But if they're your sole filter, that's unfair to them. Because they're human, just like you, just like me. They're going to have faults. They're going to fail you at some point. If your boss is your filter, that's going to lead you down the wrong path. Now, I'm not saying don't listen to your boss. Don't, you know, try to honor your boss. God, you know, established authority. He wants you to honor and respect your boss. But if your boss is your filter and not God, first and foremost, then that's going to lead you down the wrong path. Many of us are also swayed by what's popular or what we can do to become popular. Students, is this something my my friends are going to think is cool? Well, if it is, then I'm going to do it. 
If this is something that's trending in the world, which, you know, that's one thing I love about technology. You can stay up to speed with what's going on around the world and what's popular and what's cool. But if that's your filter, man, you are changing who you are like that. All the time, you got to be changing, and that gets exhausting. So anything we establish as our life filter that supersedes the authority of God and his word in our life is going to divert us from the path that God has created for us. It doesn't matter how noble it may seem, but if our anchor is someone or something, if our filter is someone or something other than God, then we're going to be led astray. So let me tell you how I found my anchor. I realized that my filter and my anchor weren't in God and that they were incorrect on a trip down to Kansas City. I was going down to, to see a concert with a good friend of mine, and we got into conversation, and she was just asking how I had been doing, and we were college friends, and so we were doing some catching up, and, and I just said, man, I realized recently that I am miserable because I'm running every decision I make through my dad, and he's not here. He hasn't been here now for four years at this point, and unfortunately, I didn't know how to switch filters just yet, and so I moved forward in life knowing my filter was slowly draining me and I grew more and more distant from God in the process to the point where I questioned if God even existed. If God exists, how can I be sitting here without my dad? If God exists, why am I lonely? Why am I depressed? Why am I not getting anything out of life? Why do I have no direction? Well, the turning point came when a friend invited me to church, I was in a wedding. A best friend of mine was getting married. I was a groomsman, and a mutual friend of ours was singing and playing guitar in this wedding. And we're sitting at a rehearsal, and my friend Ben looks over. He's a worship leader in Omaha, and he just says to me, man, where are you going to church? Four years had gone by since I had really attended church anywhere. And so I just had to be upfront with him. I said, well, to be honest... I haven't found a church. I'm not really even going anywhere. And he said, well, you need to come check out my church. So as a side note, people, invite people to church. Invite your friends. Invite your coworkers. Even if you've been around them every single day for the last you know, two years, invite them to church. It makes a difference. So I, I attend Ben's church the next day. and or, uh, Yeah, the next day. And I was amazed. I was intrigued. I didn't know why I was intrigued. I think maybe it was... Uh, because I'd grown up in a traditional conservative church uh, singing from a hymnal, and, and not that any of that's bad, but uh, I had never experienced a contemporary, more modern uh, style of worship. And as I said, music was kind of my thing. And so I go to his church, and I was intrigued. I didn't immediately switch my filter or be anchored in, in Christ at this point, but there was something intriguing about it. So I continued to go week after week after week, and I would, I probably shouldn't even tell you this because if, if you're like me, it just kind of enables you, but I would show up after greeting time so I didn't have to talk to anybody. I'd sneak into the back. I'd wait for the, uh, the sermon to start. I'd worship. I'd stay for worship because I love music, but as soon as worship was done, I was out the door, and I tried my best not to connect with anybody, okay? So 
Fast forward, that was June of 2007. We go to October. I've been going every single week to Flatland Church in Omaha, uh, but I'm still not at a place where I can really believe. And I call my sister, uh, my sister Holly. I love her so much. She's been so important to my walk. And I just tell her, I said, Holly, I've been going now for a few months. I go every single week. I don't know if I even believe. And she says to me something that I'll never forget. She said, Dave, promise me that you'll never quit searching. And so I ended that conversation in tears, and I just said, yeah, Holly, I can do that much. So I continue to go. February rolls around. I'm back home now with my mom, and I'm attending back in that kind of conservative style that's maybe not what I prefer, but I, just, I had this like kind of revelation in a sense that here it is. I'm investing all this time on Sundays going to church and being a part of a worship service and trying to kind of explore who God is, but I'm not reading his word. If I'm trying to figure out whether or not I'm going to be a Christian, I better get to know who Jesus is. And so I get back to my home in Bellevue that night, and I sit down with my Bible and a notebook, and I committed to starting uh, starting reading the Bible each night. I started in Matthew because I wanted to know who Jesus was, and that's kind of where he shows up on the scene. And so every night, night after night, I'm reading his word, and I would get to a place where I found something intriguing, or I had a question about something, I would just stop right there. So some nights I read a couple of verses. Some nights I read a few chapters. But I would read and then I would write. I would read and I would write. Eventually I reconnect with a friend of mine who's in Bible college and I start bouncing all these questions off him. You know, is there a devil? Is there a hell? Is there heaven? What do you, what do you think about this? And he was so great about just listening to me. And he might ask me questions, or he may say, well, it sounds like you need to go read this. And he was just a great guide for me. This led me to a place, eventually, about a year after I started going to church, where I had to surrender my life to Christ. I had come to a place where I discovered so much about Christ that I believed And I'd experienced enough of him and his presence in those worship services that I couldn't couldn't deny him. I couldn't deny that he existed, but I couldn't even deny that he was my Savior. And what I didn't realize at the time, but I was drawn closer to God with every verse that I read, every night that I would journal, every question that I asked my friend Phil, every time I went to church, every time I sang during worship, and yes, the time where I stepped outside my comfort zone and actually raised my hand in worship. Every action that I took was drawing me closer to God than I'd ever been. And God became my anchor and my filter through this. So what's my anchor verse? My anchor verse is found in James 4.8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Other translations say, come close to God, and God will come close to you. The message puts it this way, so let God work his will in you. For my King James friends, it says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Why is this my anchor? It's my anchor because I lived it, and it forever altered my life. My life of wandering was given purpose and direction When I was lost, drawing near to God allowed me to be found. My depression from my isolation, my withdrawing from friends or from uh, really society, that depression was replaced with joy. 
And this life of hopelessness that I was living became hope-filled because Christ was my anchor. James 4.8 is my anchor because it's the truth that allows me to weather every storm life throws my way. Every storm I can weather now because of my proximity to God. Does it make life easy? No. Life still presents its challenges. But when you draw close to God, you can, you can attack and overcome anything. James 4.8 is also my anchor when things are going well. When I draw close to God, it keeps my ego from getting the best of me. We've had some amazing things happen out at our North Platte campus. I mean, I've been comparing some of our attendance over the last few weeks compared to a year ago at the same time. And it's amazing the amount of growth that we've experienced. There are lives being transformed. Uh, It's incredible. When you see somebody realize that they've hit rock bottom and they need a savior, for me, I can relate to that. And I can say, yes, here's how you do it. Draw near to God. And he promises to draw near to you. So going back to Pastor Nate's message from last week, James 4, 8, drawing near to God allows me to stay humble. I get, you know, praise, if I'm speaking honestly, I get praise a lot about what I've done to lead out there. And it can be easy for me to take that and think, wow, I'm really good. I'm awesome. I know that a lot of it's my wife, okay? But drawing close to God allows me to stay humble. And I realize that God, yes, you've anointed me and you've put me in a place to be a leader, but the success we're seeing out there is not because of me. It's because of you. It's because of the team that you've put around us. It's because of the foundation that we have here at the Carney campus that had the foresight and the obedience to go and, and take that calling of God to plant the church in North Platte. So staying close to God, having God as my anchor, keeps me uh, grounded when things are going well. So what do you need to do? Today, it's pretty simple. You need to draw near to God. If you're lost and hopeless like I was, draw near to God. If your faith has become lukewarm, draw near to God and let him reignite you. If you're on fire for God, currently you're just passionate, you're giving it your all in worship, well, I encourage you, continue to draw near to God and let him pour fuel on your fire. Because I'm here to tell you, nothing you do in your life and with your life is more important or more beneficial than drawing near to God. How do you do that? How do you draw near to God? I want to speak about that for a minute. Uh, A couple months back, I got to be in a kind of a small room and listen to a guy by the name of Bill Hybels. And he's the leader of Willow Creek Church. He's the leader of the Global Leadership Summit that you've been hearing a little bit about. It's coming up August 11th and 12th. This is not even a shameless plug. I believe in the Global Leadership Summit, and I believe every one of us should try to attend that. But while I'm in that room with him, he said one of his practices, one of the things that he does to draw near to God is take in a book of the Bible or a chapter of the Bible or even some worship music through saturation, meaning that every day for a month, he reads the same chapter of the Bible, or he takes a worship list of songs, maybe five to ten songs, and he listens to it on repeat every day. So you can take things in through saturation that will draw you closer to God. Also, I would encourage you, you probably hear this a lot, but spend alone time with God on a regular basis. 
It's so easy for us, especially here in America, to think, well, my schedule doesn't allow that. I would love to do that. I'm too busy, though. And if you say you're too busy to spend time with God, then I would say you're too busy not to spend time with God. Find a Bible reading plan, whether it's using your paper Bible or getting on uh, version, the Bible app. I get on version. It's one of the first things I do every morning. I start my Bible plan. I get through that. I look and see uh, then what some of my friends uh, have been doing. What have they highlighted or what plans are they reading? Uh, what notes have they made? And I may comment and just encourage one another back and forth. That's also then the last thing I do before I turn my light off to go to sleep. I get back open version, and I just see what are some of my friends doing? How can I draw close to God by encouraging some of my friends and what they're reading, what they're questioning, or what really stands out to them? Another thing that you can do uh, to draw closer to God is to get to church every Sunday. You really have no excuses, and I realize I'm kind of speaking to the choir here. You're here, okay? Or if you're online, you're with us. You have no excuse to miss church. When we have our online campus, wherever you're at, you can stay connected. Now, I'm not saying that out of some legalism, you know, I want you to have perfect attendance. I'm saying that because I realize what that can do for you personally. I realize what that can do for you and your relationship with God when you are around other believers seeking God as well. Hebrews 10.25 says this, And let us not neglect our meeting together. Let us not neglect coming together on a Sunday morning to worship God, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. I love this last part, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near, because that speaks to the urgency with which we need to live. Another idea is you can listen to a podcast. There's, there's tons of great podcasts out there. I do it while I'm working out. Uh, I'll listen to a number of different ones, and... What this does is just it sharpens you. My friend Robin out in North Platte uh, said, if you don't do anything to sharpen yourself today, then tomorrow you're going to be the same version of yourself, only doler. So continue to sharpen yourself. When it comes to your relationship with God, I believe this, that you're doing one of two things, that you're either actively drawing near to God or you're drawing away from God. Just by inaction, To me, that's an action. If you're not actively drawing near to God, then you are growing away from God. So keep that in mind. Talk to someone about what you're reading or what you're listening to or what you're experiencing. Start a conversation with your spouse or a coworker or a neighbor. One of the best things you can do to draw near to God is to meet with people and to talk about him. Let him come up in your conversation. And parents... You'd better be demonstrating drawing near to God to your children. Help them find their anchor verse. If they're too young to pick one out, seek God's direction and pick one out for them. Helping them learn to draw near to God and establish a relationship with him that is theirs to own is a great way to ensure that they will have the right filter in life. Now, I've got a a son that in just a couple of months, he's going to be three years old. His name's Milo. Uh, If you've spent even a minute with me since he was born, chances are I brought him up in conversation. Uh, We've got a picture of him that we're going to show. Just love this guy. Well, my filter in life, and I realize I haven't talked about it yet, but my filter is the anchor verse that Tiffany and I chose for Milo. 
Joshua 1.9, it says this. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, Milo uh, is living this out. Uh, We try to help him live that out every single day. We help put him in places where he has to be strong and courageous. He has to be brave, as we say. One of those ways is we have monthly meetings where we bring all of the staff together here uh, once a month at our Kearney location, and Milo goes to Sunshine World. And Shelly Rosine, bless her heart, she would tell you the first few times that Milo came, he did not want to be here. He was screaming, he's crying, he's in a location, you know, an environment that he's not in very often, he doesn't know anybody. But we continued to just prep him. Every time we came, we said, hey, Milo, you can be brave today. You can go in there and you don't have to scream. You can go in and have fun with people and and create new friends. And so I'm happy to say the last time that he came, he walked in. You could maybe see his lip quivering a little bit, but he didn't cry and he wasn't screaming. He went in and he had a good day. What do we do when we pick him up? We ask him, how'd your day go? Were you brave? And he said, yes, I didn't have tears. And so we're able to reinforce, we're able to just say, well, Milo, how does it feel to be brave? He gets a, you know, a smile from ear to ear, good. We do the same thing when we take him to swimming lessons or the carnival rides out in uh, Cody Park on the north side of North Platte. We give him opportunities to be strong and courageous. I, I taught in the public school year, or in a public school for nine years, and as we uh, taught reading and how to comprehend what you're reading. One of the strategies that we teach is how to recognize cause and effect. And as I was preparing this message, I really realized how my anchor verse has been the cause. I've drawn near to God, and what's the effect? Then I have the courage to follow Christ's call wherever he leads me. So I want to take a look at Joshua 1.9, my filter verse. And I want to pick out some of the words that I think are important. The first one being command. You can see here that God's not saying, you know, do this if you feel like it or if it fits into your schedule. He's saying, do it. This is my command. And I believe he's calling each one of us. He's commanding each one of us today to be strong and courageous. In the world in which we live, you better be strong and courageous or you're going to get swallowed up. Jesus already, as we mentioned in John 16, said you're going to have trials. You're going to have star- sorrows. You're going to have storms. Jesus also had a very unique uh, perspective on persecution. We see that in John 15, 20. He said, since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. So as a follower of Christ, just realize, have that as an expectation that this life isn't going to be easy. Not everybody in the world's going to agree with me, but if I draw close to Christ, he was and is and will be victorious. The next word I want to highlight is strong. This is my command, be strong. You're not born strong. I know some of us men like to think that we're strong and that we've always been strong, but you're not born strong. It's something you work up towards, and I believe it. it's something that needs to be holistic. Do I think that God was telling Joshua here to be physically strong? yes. But I think it's much more than just being physically strong. I think you have to be strong holistically. Meaning, yes, be strong physically. Do something that keeps you active. 
Whether that's uh, walking your dog or that's going to the gym or playing on a softball team or whatever the case may be, be active. But then you also, uh, you have to think about your soul. What are you doing to strengthen your mind, your will, your emotions? of your life to you? Do they bring encouragement? Do they build you up? Do they hold you accountable? Now, I'm not saying just go ditch a bunch of friends and cut them off cold turkey if they don't pour into you, but I think it's worth considering because the strong uh, is a spiritual strength as well. Are you spending time with God? Are you reading his word? Does his word come up in conversation regularly when you're meeting with other people? So physical strength, I believe, is connected to our mental strength and emotional strength, which is then connected to our spiritual strength. The next word in Joshua 1.9 that I want to that you have Being brave is something you have to do day in and day out or multiple times a day, depending on what season of life you're in. And I believe in order to be courageous that you have to be in situations where fear is present. If you're not, step out on to, uh, you know, and go on a mission trip. We've got teens going to uh, inner city Chicago. There might be some fear present for some of them. Royal family kids, you guys may have a little bit of fear if you've never been out to camp before. Speaking about God and his, his salvation to a coworker that you know doesn't know Christ may require some courage. I had to leave a life of Omaha, or a life in Omaha, a life of comfort, uh, things that were familiar in order to follow God's call out to a place that I knew really nobody. I had a couple of high school friends I hadn't seen in about 14 years living in the area. But Tiffany and I moved out there and we knew nobody. We left behind our kind of predictable, comfortable lifestyle. Now I'm eternally grateful that God had drawn close to me so that when that call came to go to North Platte, I knew that we could go. I knew that he had our back. I knew that we could be courageous enough to overcome the fear that we might face. Craig Rochelle is a pastor that I look up to in a lot of ways. He's one of the podcasts that I listen to. And recently I heard him say that, that comfort is the enemy of growth. Comfort is the enemy of growth. We have to intentionally step into situations of God's leading where we aren't comfortable in order so that we can grow. For you here on our Kearney campus, uh, being into a, a situation where maybe you're not financially comfortable is what you're going to have to step into to be a part of the Pave the Way campaign. Out in North Platte, we're getting ready to hire a children's pastor, and we've had uh, numerous people from our congregation step into a, a situation where they were going to rely upon God to provide for them so that they could give towards our children's pastor. These moments of getting outside your comfort zone activate your faith. 
So before we move on to the next part here, the next part of this verse that I love, one important distinction that I believe uh, is that the presence of fear does not equal being afraid. Being in the, the presence of fear only makes you afraid if you let it, if you forget who you're anchored in. Fear allows you to be afraid or discouraged if you forget what you're rooted in or who you're rooted in. So God's next statement says, do not be afraid or discouraged. Being in the presence of fear is okay. Fear should drive us towards God. It should afraid. deal of fear in some things that you are presently dealing with or things that you've dealt with in the past. But I want to direct you to Romans 8.31. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? We have no reason to be afraid. We have no reason to be discouraged. Discouraged, if you take the prefix there, dis, it means the opposite. God is so important. Courage will not be negated. It will not be withdrawn if you're close to God. And lastly, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. If God is with you wherever you go, you have no excuse to say no to his leading. Because he's there. He promises if you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. I love what Joshua did next. And we're not going to have those verses up on the screen, but let me just tell you. What did Joshua do after God calls him to be strong and courageous and reminds him, I'm with you wherever you go. Well, he grabs all the, the commanding officers of Israel in verses 10 and 11, and he just takes the message that God gave him, and he distributes it to them. He leads them. He influences them with strength and courage. Following that, in verses 12 through 15, he pulls together the tribes and tells them what they're going to be doing. What was their response? They followed his lead. They even repeated back to him, the command God had given him, their response, the, the last thing they say to him is, so be strong and courageous. That's a sign of a good leader when your people are repeating back to you what you've said to them. I also believe that it's not enough to just say the right things, but you have to do the right things as a leader. When it comes to be, being strong and courageous, you can't just tell people to do it because they're going to do what you do more than they just do what you say or what you tell them to do, unless what you're doing and what you're saying is the same. So be strong and courageous, not just in words, but in your actions. So as I, as I close here, I want to recap just real quick. Make sure that you have the right anchor and the right filter in life. How do you do that? You draw near to God. One way you can do that is in a minute you're going to be able to respond to what God has maybe said to you today through worship. I encourage you to do that. And worship with abandon. Step outside your comfort zone like I finally did and raise your hands and worship. Or we say all the time in all of our venues, all of our locations that we have altars that are for the hungry. Maybe that's stepping outside of your comfort zone today. But let me tell you, if you're stepping outside of your comfort zone in an effort to draw closer to God, he's going to be there. He will show up because God is forever faithful. Lastly, be strong and courageous. Be intentional about your time with God. Now, in closing, I would invite all of you to stand. I'm gonna read a couple of verses from Psalm 40 that I think really just takes everything from James 4.8 and Joshua 1.9 and just 
puts it together really well. And so I'm going to read that, and I'm just going to give you a heads up. There's a part at the very end that I'm going to need your participation with. The psalmist calls us to shout, the Lord is great. Okay? And I want to just warn you. So, I mean, I know it's early in the morning. Some of you haven't barely done anything more than whisper. But I want you to shout it with me. The psalmist says this, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. And he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. Verse 5, O Lord my God, you have performed many wonders for us. Your plans for us are too numerous to list. You have no equal. If I tried to recite all your wonderful deeds, I would never come to the end of them. I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. And to close this, verse 16, but may all who search for you, all who draw near to you, be filled with joy and gladness in you. May those who love your salvation repeatedly shout, the Lord is great. Let's say it again. The Lord is great. As the worship team comes, let's pray. God, today we praise you for your faithfulness. We praise you for being our source of strength and courage. As the storms of life come our way, we are grateful that you and your word keep us anchored in your faith. We have a confident hope that you will see us through. Lord, as we draw near to you today, we come with expectation that you will draw near to us. We are humbled by this promise. Speak to us, we pray. Let your word be the filter we place on our lives. Lastly, thank you for the promise to be with us wherever we go. Lead and guide each one of us, and may we all grow in strength and courage as we devote our lives to living out your will each day. May we continue to experience your presence as we worship you and proclaim how great you are. In Jesus' name, amen.